0: Welcome to Fireside Breakdowns. I'm Robin.
1: And I am John.
0: On this show, we break down some of the most controversial, complex, and even polarizing topics facing our society. We use honest, good faith analysis, backed by research, to form our conclusions. We promise to skew our bias toward what can be factually supported, and to make it clear when we're giving you our opinion versus speaking about actual research.
1: We're human. We have blind spots and personal biases, and they will show up sometimes. But the goal of this show isn't to convince you to see things our way. We want to give everyone a foundational understanding of these complicated topics and present the most truthful information available so that we can discuss and address these issues in a thoughtful, beneficial way.
0: We talk about some pretty heavy stuff on this show, and we tackle topics that might feel polarizing. But we do that because we have an important goal in mind. We want to change the way that people have hard conversations. And we think that we can do that using research and discussion to create common understanding. And since you're here, we hope that you want the same thing.
1: So we suggest getting comfortable and maybe having a good drink on hand as we work through this stuff. Welcome to our fireside.
0: And then I realized how many 90s country songs are actually about dancing.
1: A lot of them. A, a lot, lot of them. Now I'm thinking about The Dance.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I is a great song. I keep contemplating putting that one in here, but it also makes me cry.
1: Yeah. No, a little bit. It, yeah. No, it's super duper sad.
0: Yeah. yeah. So. It's
1: a great song. Great song. Yeah. Absolutely tear tear jerking. Tear jerker. It's a tear jerker of a song. Yes. Okay. That's not what we're talking about though. Yeah. What? Also Garth
0: Brooks isn't on Spotify.
1: Yeah, I know he's not on Spotify. Garth,
0: which is actually kind of relevant to the conversation today.
1: Is it Is it, it is. about ownership of his product and being able to control its dissemination?
0: Mhm. And it's about exclusive agreements and other things like that cuz I think he has an exclusive agreement with maybe is it Prime Music?
1: Something oh really? Like that. Hmm. Or at least it's not Pandora, which still oh, exists. God.
0: It does, it does. I know a lot of people who still listen to Pandora.
1: I actually do too. I don't know why.
0: It's because they don't have to intimately control the music that they listen to in order to be a functional human being while they're listening to music. I don't understand that kind of chaos.
1: Uh, that that makes no sense to me because if the wrong song comes on when I'm trying to concentrate, it's all gone.
0: It's done. And
1: all I'm thinking mm-hmm. about is a song at that point.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So mm-hmm. not great. Yep. Not talking about any of that. What we are talking about, however, is Wizards of the Coast. And Dungeons and Dragons. Super nerdy pod, guys. That's right. We're going to walk you through bullet point by bullet point every rule of Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> and the most controversial rulings of 2020. No, that's not how yeah. we're doing this one at all. Although no. we might could maybe
0: i mean um we did have a very uh, specific discussion a couple of weeks ago at around our table about the specifics of um create water it we can't have a create new,
1: that much water yeah it. Mm-hmm. it gets
0: complicated you know what's not complicated this podcast we're not going to talk no, about No,
1: well, no. Complicated. This po- this podcast is really complicated. That's the whole point. It's right oh. there in the intro, Robin. Anyway, so who is Wizards of the Coast and why are we talking about it?
0: Well, okay. Yeah. So Wizards of the Coast technically now is a subsidiary of Hasbro Game and Toy Company. Um, but they are a a gaming company that began in the I want to say it was the 70s. Um, They were the original owners of the Magic the Gathering game, which I did not know. Yeah. Uh, And then they acquired the license to produce and distribute the Pokemon card game after that. Um, But they acquired the original company that produced Dungeons and Dragons, because Dungeons and Dragons has been around for 50 years now, close to. Um, And in 1997, Uh Wizards of the Coast acquired the company that produced Dungeons & Dragons. And then in 1999, Wizards of the Coast was acquired by Hasbro. So it's been a long time.
1: Yeah. So back uh, recently, um, and by recently, I mean within the past, like, we'll say five years or so, um, Hasbro, Wizards of the Coast, they have seen... Dungeons and Dragons uh, become uh, much more popular than it has been uh, previously that was in part due to its prominence in um, pop media like uh, stranger things and how mm-hmm. uh, that one took off it featured very heavily prominently in the first season yes. and then this in this latest season um, mm-hmm. and in fact a lot of, like most of it is actually kind of a Dungeons and Dragons campaign playing out on the screen, if you know Mm -hmm. what you're looking for, um, which makes it fun to watch. Um, But also, several podcasts, uh, live play podcasts, and the advent of watching people uh, game in real time, and not just video games, but tabletop games, has really helped uh, bolster the brand. Um, Podcasts like Dimension Twenty and the Adventure jo- Adventure Zone, and um, there's a big one, Critical Role. That yeah, I can't yes. believe I listed last. Um, have been vital in uh, bringing people into the space, showing how you can tell stories with it, and and entertaining and and getting people interested in it. Um, so, due to this, in part, um, Wizards of the Coast has really been investing a little more into their Dungeons and Dragons focus. And uh, back in August, we saw them talk about something called 1D&D, which is the newest version of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, Mm -hmm. Very simply, the the rules used to play Dungeons and Dragons right now are nowhere near the same as the rules used to play the first edition of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, So uh, every few years or so they, um, they release a new edition. So we're currently on fifth edition. And I think this one's been last, this one's gone, been going on for uh, a pretty long time, relatively speaking, um, when it comes to the editions. and, uh, it is being replaced by this new edition, one D and D and the general purpose of one D and D is to sort of, Refresh the, the rule set, but also make it so there's, I think, no more like additions.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
1: just a continually expanding and, and adjusted rule set. Um, alongside that announcement, a couple <laughs> months after that, players yeah. got the notification that Wizards of the Coast was working on a new version of something called the Open Gaming License or OGL.
0: Yes. Uh, what the OGL, is that? yeah, it's it's a legal document uh, that basically outlines how community members are allowed to interact with the intellectual property that is Dungeons and Dragons. Um, originally published in two thousand, so right after, basically right after Hasbro took over Wizards of the Coast, um, it bas- it's a it's a nine hundred word document that essentially says um, that people are allowed to make stuff under the intellectual property of Dungeons & Dragons if they want to, uh, sell it if they want to, not sell it if they don't want to. And um, and it doesn't actually matter if they're directly competing with, with Wizards of the Coast products. The idea was to maintain the idea of Dungeons & Dragons as a community-focused and driven game, gaming platform, um, and they felt like this gaming license would allow that to continue, and, um, and, and it did. I mean, it caused the game to flourish because people could mold it and shape it and create their own ideas and communities and campaigns and all kinds of things within this core rule and functionality set that is Dungeons & Dragons.
1: Right. And that's simultaneously alongside the takeoff of these actual play podcasts and Stranger Things. We also saw an explosion in Creators. Who were making content to be used with Dungeons and Dragons, and sometimes that meant that they were making um, like new adventures that you could play through, and stories that you could basically tell at the table. Sometimes that meant that they were using, they were making maps that could be used uh, to play Dungeons Dungeons and Dragons because um, one of the, at least to me, one of the most fun elements is the ability to like have a. A battle map or a map of where your characters are so you can visualize the space Mm -hmm. but they are high effort things for for some people like for me i like to put a lot of effort into my maps and have spent a lot of money and time designing maps for my players (coughs) (laughs) that's neither here nor there Um, but if i can pay somebody to make a map that's perfect Mm -hmm. for me that's also really really nice Um, And sometimes that means that they create new items or characters or um, just any number of things that interact with the game. And then they can sell those. Um, And it's been great because a lot of people have found financial, uh, if not necessarily success, at least relief, (laughs) a way to have a side hustle and and make um, some money. And one of the things, one of the big things That has been generating revenue for uh, independent creators that aren't wizards of the coast has been have been virtual tabletops and what these are are basically um, a virtual reality table that you and your friends can sit around and no matter where you are in the world um, you're all at this table so you can play the game together Which is really, really useful when your friends are scattered across the continent or scattered across the globe. You all come together, you get on this fake table, if you will, and you can all see the same things and interact with it. It's very, very, very useful. So the open gaming license has facilitated all of that. Everybody has been relatively pleased with how it functions. So it kind of came as a surprise to most (laughs) people that they would announce a new version of the open gaming license. Right. Earlier this month, that would be January of 2022, a draft, nope, 2023, uh, a draft uh, version, a draft version of the open gaming license called OGL 1.1 was leaked and it made some pretty significant changes.
0: Right. Things um, like the first thing right. that it did was deauthorize the original or an open gaming license um, yep. or attempt to, uh, which means that any creator that was producing content that didn't comply with the new version either had to adjust, would have to adjust the content or be subject to legal action under the OGL 1.1, okay. um, especially large publishers, right, who focus almost exclusively on products that are based in the original OGL. So there's a version of Dungeons and Dragons called Pathfinder. Um, That is content for that is produced by a company called Paizo. Um, And then there are many, many just kind of publishing companies out there who have built their whole line around Dungeons and Dragons. One of them is called Kobold Press. Um, And all they do is they produce stories and content and maps and characters and and feature sets um, that you can use inside the game. Um, So one of the quotes from the leaked version of the... Uh, The OGL 1.1 said the open game license was always intended to allow the community to help grow D&D and expand it creatively. It wasn't intended to subsidize major competitors, especially now that PDF is by far the most common form of distribution. So when Dungeons and Dragons first got popular, in order to play, you had to be sitting around the same table and you all had to have basically printed access to the same resources And it was much more focused on small communities and small groups of people. But now that we have the internet and we have PDFs and we have virtual tabletops and streaming, there's so much opportunity for a single person who's creating content in the D&D space to have that content accessible to anyone worldwide and make a substantial amount of money off of it. Um, in, you know, in the 1970s, 1980s, when you were making your own Dungeons and Dragons campaigns, it was pretty hard to sell those to anybody because you had to write them down in a notebook and draw them on paper. Right. Like you they weren't mass produced. You couldn't reproduce them very easily. So, um, yeah. And, and even in in 2000, when the OGL first came out, we weren't mass producing and distributing things the way that we are able to now with this widespread access.
1: Right. The other, uh, another thing that this new 1.1 did was it allowed Wizards of the Coast to terminate the agreement, that is, disallow a creator um, to use the IP if third-party creators publish material that is blatantly racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic, bigoted, or otherwise discriminatory. Now, this was allegedly in an attempt to combat hateful content that um, people were and could produce to be used with D&D. It's kind of a, at least on paper, a, a good move. Uh, um, <laughs> opponents would say woke move um, <laughs> to make sure that the D&D, uh, the D&D space Remains open and accessible to people of all persuasions. Um, right. um, another thing that the, the leaked version of 1.1 did was give Wizards of the Coast
0: the right to collect a 25% royalty on any earnings over $750,000. Um, so this particular clause, this this element of 1.1 was a huge Huge talking point in the Dungeons & Dragons community, especially among people who uh, were really, really angry about the OGL because it, on the surface and in in the way that people were having conversations, um, it made it sound like this was a money grab. Um, But one thing that stood out to me in looking at this was there is a very, very, very small subset of people who's earning $750,000 on Dungeons & Dragons IP. Yeah. Like it's a very, very small and very specific subset of people, which leads me to believe that, you know, maybe this particular clause was not intended to target the average content creator, but it was intended to target, again, those major competitors.
1: Yeah. Um, Which is exactly what it would have done. The 25% royalty is actually Extraordinary! That is a huge royalty. Twenty-five, it's basically twenty-five percent of your profit has to go straight to Wizards of the Coast. Yeah,
0: over seven hundred fifty thousand. So you can earn yeah. seven hundred fifty, seven hundred forty-nine thousand dollars. Basically, right? And I'm then just talking
1: I, about like yeah. of the people though who do make more than that. Like seven hundred fifty thousand dollars sounds like a lot of money, sure. But if you're running a company like Paizo or Kobold mm-hmm. Press, like they don't make that much money, especially compared to Wizards of the Coast. I think it's uh Paizo, for example, makes like millions of dollars yeah. compared to Wizards of the Coast's billions of dollars. Well, right. Or Hasbro's. I think Hasbro is actually the one with the billion there. Um, so it's 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 punitive to these mm-hmm. smaller companies because when you're when and again, I know a million sounds like a lot, but when you have a lot of infrastructure to maintain yeah. a lot of overhead, it's really not that much. And it would have basically caused a lot of these, these companies to have to shut down immediately. Yeah. Because they couldn't pay the bill. Um, you, do you want to... T- oh, oh, oh. It also... This is weird. It limited fair use content to static electronic files or printed media, which means that it excluded things like video games or podcasts or um, like virtual tabletops who use Mm -hmm. video files, right? Which is like, it's very common or MP4s or any other number of video files. Um, And it also, explicitly cuts the legs out from under some of the biggest proponents of the brand out there because yeah critical role and dimension 20 and all of these these play groups these actual play streams like they're not just streams first of all um, they also have podcasts that they publish the stream under and that is not included
0: (laughs) like well and it's not it's not included in the like in the non-commercial right in that anybody can use that content so they they would then be subject to to, sign yeah yeah
1: it would force them to go into a commercial agreement with wizards of the coast which would then of course give wizards of the coast more control more ability to gain right profit off of it and
0: i mean something like critical role earns in the millions, just on its own. Um, yeah. So again, that that royalty would be ginormous. Under yeah. under, and I okay. So this is something that we do have to point out. Under the OGL 1.1 surface level, as it was released, that is not to say <laughs> that Wizards of the Coast, which has a very close working relationship with um, with organizations like Dimension 20 and like Critical Role, would not have already negotiated some sort of separate agreement outside the OGL for those particular organizations yeah. and the way that they work. Yeah. This is just, business and that stuff happens.
1: Yeah. It does just make it harder for new people to break into that market and yes. there are contenders for that particular like that particular thing everywhere. I think right. pretty much everybody has a friend who has a D and D podcast. <laughs> <I'm>
0: <laughs> that's fair. Sorry. That's hate fair. To break
1: it. No. Yeah. Um,
0: or who, who streams their,
1: or who streams their, their games. I mean, or, I stream my games whenever we're playing just for funsies. And sometimes we get audience. We never made any money off of it, but whatever.
0: Well, yeah. Um, I mean, we record ours, but that's just mostly because some of us can't remember what happened from week to week, but, mm. um, and it so the 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 new version of the OGL distinguishes between a commercial and a non-commercial license. Kind of what we um, were just alluding to earlier. So if you wanted to make something under the non-commercial licensing, it would have to be those PDFs or printed media. It could not be video games or podcasts or yeah. et cetera, et
1: cetera. Um, um. I'm going to run through the rest of this really quick because the focus of this episode isn't necessarily all of the finer details That's of true. the, yeah, the good content. Point. Um, and then there's also 1.2 to talk about, which um, I can sum that up too. But basically, uh, the remaining points in this is that it allowed wizards to... If anybody created content under the Open Gaming License, 1.1, it allowed wizards to then take that content and use it for themselves without any creator input which is kind of a big hot button issue right now especially if you're looking at for example um ai generated art Mm -hmm. content that is like content being taken from the original creator and used for whatever purpose is it's not fair they like if i create something i deserve compensation for that thing being used that's i think anybody can Agree on that. Um, It also removed the right to sue Wizards of the Coast for whatever decision they made. I think it forced you to go into arbitration um, immediately. You gave up your right to uh, to to take your case before a judge. Um, There were like financial tiers. Like they people would have to report how much money they had made to Wizards of the Coast based on their products and and their ideas. And especially for commercial or for commercial creators. Um, and then there's also this like requirement for there to be an official badge uh, based on content creator and created under OGL, which by and large isn't like a bad thing necessarily. It's just an onerous sort of hurdle to overcome that could create issue. It's it's a it's a deal. Yeah. Um, on the 20th, Wizards, uh, this this 1.1 to sum it up very very mildly, nobody liked that. People was mad. People were big mad about that. Um, and in response, they started canceling their subscription to something called D&D Beyond. D&D Beyond is an online tool that players can use to look up rules, to create and organize their games, eventually to be able to um run games on its on a proprietary virtual tabletop that will be owned by Wizards. There is a subscription to this service that costs a not insignificant amount of money and then you can also buy things on top of that mm-hmm. within the store. Importantly, the things you buy in the store are not uh like they're usable only in D&D Beyond. So you basically buy access to content. Um which can get very expensive if you also want a hard copy of it, because then you have to buy a hard copy separate. Mm -hmm. In short, it's a cash cow. It can make a ton of money. Yes. And by and large, because of how useful it was and how well it works, people were willing to pay for that. When this came out and it appeared that Wizards was basically grabbing a bunch of money, uh, or trying to grab even more money from, from the players, uh, there was a campaign launched to cancel your D and D beyond subscription. And from what I can tell, from what I've been able to see, a lot of people have canceled that subscription to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars for,
0: yeah.
1: for wizards of the coast. Um, and that, that starts to add up. It might be over a million now. Um, It was a lot. It was a lot. So they, in response, released 1.2 of the open gaming license, uh, and that came out on the 20th. And it corrected a lot of the errors of Mm -hmm. 1.1. But you still had Wizards of the Coast's ability to... um, basically not publish or or terminate an agreement with somebody who published uh, morally questionable or offensive content. Um, the thing is the people deciding what was not good, what was more morally questionable content, that was wizards. So it gave them basically unilateral power to tell you, nope, you can't make any more money off of this. Now, ostensibly that would be used for something that was like pretty uh, like objectively offensive but when you expand to the idea that hasbro is for example is a global company and their products are distributed globally right right if you start pushing into markets like china or saudi arabia for example and you're trying to capture those markets you might not be able to publish things that that contain content that is objectionable to the people who control the levers of power over there. For right. example, in China or in Saudi Arabia, if your content features any sort of not traditional couple uh, that is a man and woman, quote unquote traditional, uh, then maybe they say you can't publish that there. And Hasbro, who really wants to get that market says, okay, well, we'll just get rid of it then. And then you've been demonetized, basically. So morality and what is morally objectionable, could there was no definition of that, and it could be changed at any time. There were further problems. That was just the one that stuck out to me. Long story short, this is not over. There are a lot of issues that threaten the livelihoods and the enjoyment of a massive franchise and... Wizards has been kind of terrible about recognizing the concerns of the fan base and um working to address the, those concerns in a uh thoughtful and beneficial manner, if you will. If I <laughs> borrow our yeah, They own did
0: not take our approach to this. Yeah. They did not.
1: So we we we're talking about this now that we are like. 30 minutes into this conversation and have outlined the stakes. The reason we are deciding to talk about this today and highlight some of the problems that are being raised by this, um, is because it's a great example of something that we've talked about a couple of times in a couple of different ways on the show. And that's the division of people into their, their in groups and out groups, their camps. Um, there was very quickly the establishment of people who were anti-wizards of the coast, burn it all to the ground, boycott everything, and people who were we'll just say, not that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you kind of either were. It was definitely the um, you're either with us or you're against us mindset for the people who were unhappy with the way that the new version of the OJL came out. Um and it it really got us thinking about how it's so easy for us to fall into that fallacy of false choice, right? The false dichotomy fallacy where it either has to be good or it has to be bad. They either have to be for us or against us. Um, one quote that I found on Twitter from a particularly upset Person said, um, It's what we feared. The higher ups despise us, the DD community, and see us only as an obstacle to their money. Subs on DD Beyond are all Wizards of the Coast care about, so I've canceled mine. Uh, but again, and then they use the hashtags op- hashtag open DD and hashtag stop the sub. But this idea that the reason that Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast would be creating a new version of the open gaming license. Would not would be because they despise the community, right? Because they so devalue the people who drive the game forward, that and all that they want is money. That's the only reason they could possibly be doing this, um, and that just feels it feels really frustrating, especially from the perspective of a person who I do work in marketing and communications and I deal a lot with intellectual property. And while I am not a dollar thumping capitalist by any stretch of the imagination i do understand that it's important for companies businesses to be able to protect their product and to be able to actually earn money from their product and it feels a little bit entitled not going to lie i don't think they did it right i don't think that you know either of the versions that they've come out with yet is is exactly the right one but it feels a little bit entitled to say that because Because the original open game license gave people access to create literally anything they wanted and earn as much money as they wanted off of this intellectual property, that it should always be that way in perpetuity. I think a lot has changed since that original open game license came out. And that has to be acknowledged. And I think it's okay for a company to try to work to protect their product.
1: Yeah, I think that's I think that's okay. I think the problem comes in when you get these gross like royalties, twenty five percent. Those have been eliminated yeah. from one point two. Absolutely. Um, that put you know that puts companies out of business. Um, whenever you get, I don't want to get into the debate on good or bad on this, um, but it's so hard not to because of what <laughs> I, you know, like, cause, like you know Robin and I both play. D&D we both have a, a dog in this fight honestly um, not that we make money off of it but we want to see the community flourish we want to see it yeah. grow we want to see new content and the longer this battle goes on the more damage it's, is going to be done now whether or not Wizards is doing it right or, or they needed to revoke a license or, or uh, they needed to correct it is a conversation that is going to be had and is continuing to be had in a bunch of different places. What I'm seeing out of this though, is we've talked about how whenever you have a, a partial story, it's really easy to create in groups and out groups for that. Mm -hmm. And when at its worst, we see things like the radicalization of people in the United States, and they end up, Uh, planning to kidnap governors or raiding raiding the capital, thinking that they're doing the right thing, thinking that the things they know and love are under attack and are going to be taken from them. And so we see that playing out here in real time. What came out in December was not necessarily the official final version of the OGL. There's a lot of evidence to indicate that it might have been, but nothing was confirmed yet But people took it as gospel, as Mm -hmm. the truth and as what was going to happen. And they acted on that. And because they acted on that, um, it led them to action very, very quickly. So you had the problem, you had the perceived issue, the perceived threat to the way of life, which Mm -hmm. is going to be, you know, we're not going to be able to play the game that we want to play or we're not going to be able to see the content that we want to see. Um, and then you also had um, this sort of call to action in the form of, well, we can fight back against it by doing this boycott. Happened very, very, very quickly. Um, and it happened to me in my head, the way I imagine it is it already had a built-in end group Yeah. Because the d and community... Divided amongst various different sub communities, but the D and D community itself is relatively united overall. Um, you've got people that just love play, D- love to play D and D, that want to yeah. see the game succeed, and are willing to do whatever it takes to make that happen. Not whatever it takes; they're not going to go out and murder people. But you know, they talk about their podcasts or the, the shows that they like, and so again, you have that common cause. You have a community that is that that finds um that support with each other um and less so now but it used to be kind of outcast or on the fringes of society yeah um and it has sort of crystallized into this very um vocal active group that are really working to make some change and so that's why i was interested in talking about this is because of how like what a perfect microcosm of an example it is.
0: Yes. Because at the end of the day, yes, you know, there are there are companies that are on the line here and there are creators who have come to make their living with this. Um, but this is not the same scale as, you know, an entire country's government. So it's a little bit safer to dig into and break down and look at, the the catalysts in the different parts of this conversation and kind of try to see how all of this gets started. Um, I was honestly very, very surprised at how quickly the narrative of they were always waiting to get us popped up here um, because for 20 plus years, 23 years, there has been no indication that Wizards of the Coast had any intention or any, um, frustration with the D&D community and content creators, right? So this idea that they were always just waiting to come and get us and that we've always, you know, that they despise us and they're just out to get our money. Like that feels like it must have been an undercurrent. It must be a core fear for a, a substantial group of people. Um, but like we yeah. haven't really seen that reflected, at least that I've noticed. Granted, I'm not, I'm not in all the subreddits. I don't – this yeah. isn't my livelihood. I don't – I wish I had more time for it, but.
1: There's – so that's – I'm glad you brought it up. That's something that I wanted to hit on really quick is there are stories, there are articles, there are supposedly leaked emails out there that support the idea that, yeah, they kind of do just view the, the customer base as um, money. And the only thing standing in between wizards and the money that they deserve is the customer. And so there are emails that talk about or allegedly, excuse me, there are emails from inside the company that talk about how the people at the top um, only view the customer base as as coin purses, basically. And what you see if you go in and you look at these things is that there was a very rapid devolution in the need for verification, at least from what I saw. So Mm -hmm. when it first happened, when the, when there was the first leak, people were saying, you know, well, we don't know if this is real. We don't know if this is true. We don't know if it's accurate. Let's, let's see. Um, But the farther we got into it, the more some some people pushing out stories about it seemed to care less and less about validation and more about, aha, this confirms what I thought all along um, that wizards are the, the the big bad evil guy at the end of the, the end of the, the story here. Got the hiccups. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's exactly what we see in uh, when it comes to the conspiracy theories and stuff that drive radicalization in the United States. We see, people who come in initially skeptical about um, how things are, about what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. And over time, that confirmation bias of, oh, I saw this and this is what I believe and this is what happens. And that totally supports what I think kicks in and you get that increasing, that snowball effect. And it will get to a point where people will not be satisfied With anything that Wizards does short of reaffirming the original open gaming license and strengthening it specifically in favor of the players. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think this is going. And that's very much like I will not be satisfied by anything short of uh, getting specifically what I want out of this election. Just on orders of magnitude different.
0: Right, right. Another thing that I think is really um, dangerous about this rapid move to factionize, right? This, this rapid move to, um, to bail on D and D beyond and to bail on wizards of the coast and to create our own tabletop gaming systems is that it's really, really hard to roll that back. Um, Especially when new information comes out, right? So, A lot of people feel like, oh, we won when OGL 1.2 came out. But again, like we don't know that 1.1 was going to be the final version. We don't know that there were not going to be changes made to that. And 1.2 is drastically different. And I would imagine that whatever they land on finally will be different even from that. And once all of these people have completely bailed, there's no room to accept when the other party acknowledges a mistake and changes their behavior. Like, we don't make any room for reconciliation there because we've just thrown away that relationship. And I mean, I feel like we saw the same thing happen with CrossFit. That's another community that we have in common. In 2020, like the CEO of CrossFit made some really, really shitty remarks about Black Lives Matter. And and again, I think with, with all good intention, right? Many, many, many CrossFit gyms and CrossFit owners and CrossFit athletes just threw up their hands and they said, we're out. We're done. We are no longer affiliated. We're no longer associated. We don't stand for that. But what that didn't create space for and made for a really awkward few months after is that CrossFit also did the same thing. And they said, Greg Glassman, you cannot be in charge anymore. And they went through that process of making some much needed changes to leadership to realign with with a perspective that is much more appropriate much more in line with what their community believes and, and how their community feels. But then once they made all those changes, what we saw was that there were some gyms that never reaffiliated, right? That's fine. But then there were a lot that quietly made their way back to CrossFit without ever talking about it. So they made this yeah. huge grandstand, this huge exit, and some of them even changed their names. But lo and behold... They are still affiliated or they re-affiliated and they're still running CrossFit classes, right? It makes that reconciliation so much harder and so much more awkward when we demand disconnection versus requesting, protesting for, standing for change, right? I want to change this relationship, not I want to quit this relationship.
1: And there was a lot – there were other similarities. Uh, CrossFit's initial reaction when that came out was pretty – um, we'll say disparaging of the re the reactions of the the community, mm-hmm. um, which is ultimately kind of contributed to, to the guy who made those comments, Greg Glassman being ousted. Um, but wizards also, their initial responses were pretty, um, dismissive of the concerns of their, their fan base of their community um in fact i think in one their first public apology was very sort of like well you're overreacting very very abusive boyfriend uh <laughs> syndrome oh, gross and um they had to reissue a a second yeah. apology and that one wasn't associated with with wizards of the coast it was actually from the D beyond people so it's still been pretty messy and there's still a lot uh, to go on, there um, or a lot to ha- that needs to happen there but uh, but yeah that is that 's kind of just a, a real quick and dirty, not super deep highlight on on just what 's happening right now in a very relatively small community uh, around the world and how it sort of shows the the path to radicalization, if you will, uh, the path to forming in groups and out groups, uh, in, in, in the real world. Um, it's something that we are both interested in and we hope that it was interesting <laughs> to you. Um, if it wasn't interesting to you though, you can find all sorts of other interesting content. So at interesting fireside where you can find <laughs> all of our back episodes and all of, well, most of our show notes and, um, basically just see what it is that we do here. And, um, if you are super curious, you can find our links to our social medias. And if you really like what we do here, you can find a link to our Patreon where you can contribute to the show. You get exclusive bonus content and special content. And, um, we treat you basically just better than everybody else because you are. So I just I just want to say, like, if you want to be better than everybody else.
0: I mean, if just, that's your thing.
1: If that's your thing, like, you know where to do it. Patreon.
0: Patreon. Our
1: our Patreon. Yes. Do you think that's good? I think that's an effective. I think that's an effective plug. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely effective plug. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about. <laughs> listen. Listen, giving us money does not make you a better person, okay? We just no. want to be super clear. It's just a joke. Anyway, let's talk about <laughs> let's, some let's, good news. Let's
0: talk about some good news. <laughs> oh, man. So earlier this month, January 2023, uh Governor of Wisconsin, Tony Evers. Evers? Evers. Evers,
1: I think. Pretty sure it's uh, Evers.
0: It, I mean, it's Wisconsin. Of course, it's Evers. But um, He announced a new program in the state called the Recovery Voucher Program, which is a housing first uh, effort to correct homelessness and opioid addiction in combination, Um, because many people who experience homelessness also struggle with um, drug addiction, but especially opioid addiction. And this program will help them in recovery and in um, stability by helping them find safe and affordable and stable housing. Um, Very many programs that aim to help people in this situation start with recovery. They say you have to get clean first and then we'll help you with everything else. Um, But the problem with that is that if you don't know where you're going to sleep at night, it is a whole lot harder to be committed to the work and effort that it takes to get clean from something, especially like opioid addiction. Um, Yeah. So by prioritizing safe and stable housing, they can then continue to offer the recovery services, uh, but in a safer, more controlled, more stable environment that predisposes people to better chances at actual recovery and at reentering society um, in the way that they want to going forward. Programs like this are not cheap, it's going to cost about $2 million just to start the program, which is fairly inexpensive for something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but the state is going to use a portion of the $11 million that McKinsey and company gave to Wisconsin leaders to address the effects of the opioid edemics, uh, epidemic. So um, it's almost an endemic at this point. Um yeah. So that money is going to good use and hopefully we'll start to see some excellent results from this program that can maybe be replicated in other places where uh, drug addiction and homelessness are a significant coincidental problem
1: yeah it would it's good to see um this recognition that addiction is like it's a chicken egg problem
0: mhm
1: you know if you're, if you, if you're homeless, you find yourself more likely to, uh, or, or you're probably more likely to use. And if you're a user, you're more likely to end up homeless. And once that spiral starts, like it feeds itself. And so sometimes in order to help people, in order to, um, bring people back into the fold, we kind of just have to start that exploration with an expression of faith basically and say, you know, no strings attached. Here's, here's your house. Now right. you've got to get clean, right? Cause that makes it easier overall. And it's definitely easier to put somebody in a room with a, with a roof over their head than it is to expect them to somehow get clean without any safe place to, you know, stay or to right. be warm or to, you know, just exist and have a life. Yeah. So I, I kind of like that.
0: Yeah, I love programs like this. I think that um, that these sort of dignity first programs um, have the best results. They have the best chances of continuing to work because they prioritize the person and not the condition. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think that anytime we can approach somebody with that perspective of who you are as a human is valuable, we understand that you have these challenges, right? Yeah. Versus... Uh, all we see is your challenges and you need to prove that you're valuable in order for us to help you. So yeah. Yeah. It's good. Worth is not determined by your circumstances. It is not. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That is is good news. Um, I think that's everything that we have for you. We're keeping it actually pretty relatively short this time and we're going to move on out before we squander that opportunity. So (laughs) thank you so much everybody for lending us your ear this week and we hope to be back with you soon um until that time take care of each other